Last week, we started a series that is titled Red. And I know as we announced it, some of you are thinking, Red, what are we going to be talking about? And it stood for Remember Every Day. We are called to remember every day what God has done for us, what God wants to do in us. And last week, we talked a little bit about the fact that we just need to know what the scripture says because there's so many things that we attribute to God and the Bible that aren't there, right? Like, you know, I gave that expression last week, cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, that's not in the Bible. And we need to know that. And there's so many things like that. Early word, early bird gets the worm. Yeah, that's not in the Bible either. And, and, and by there, we can go a whole down a slew of different things that we attribute to Scripture and to God that may sound good. It may even be built or rooted on a godly principle, but it's not the way God said it or intended it to be. And so today, just like last week, we're going to get into a little skit to springboard us into the message. So let's go ahead and pay attention to what God wants to show us this morning. See? ¿Está bien? ¿Le dejé el mensaje? Oh, English? Okay. You speak English? <laughs> All right, I'll refer the message to him. Thank you. Hi, my friend. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? Hi, fine, finally. I got my lunch break from upstairs, you know, third floor is busy all the time and since I know you can't leave the reception desk I came to see you and talk to you and show you something. What are you going to show me? Uh, okay. <gasps> what happens if he's, your husband sees he's texting you? Why? Haven't you heard what your husband doesn't know won't hurt him? Besides, I'm not doing anything wrong. He's the one texting me. <laughs> You're not doing anything wrong? Oh, hi, it's me again, Diane Josephine Barbara Julie Waters, but my friends call me Betty, and people just don't learn. They keep on making the same mistakes, and they're definitely not reading their Bible, but I'm here to help them out as best as I can. Package for Michael. Let me look for Michael now. What are you going to do now that he's coming upstairs? What am I going to do about what? I think you guys need to stop this. Stop what? First of all? There's nothing to stop. I can't tell him to stop texting me. And again, there's nothing serious going on. We're just um, flirting. Flirting? Oh, no, 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 no. Excuse me. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Matthew 5, 28. Matthew 5, 2641. Watch and pray lest you enter to temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does the Bible have to do with this? Apparently, guess God, God's not speaking to you yet. Well, let me give you another one. And do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4.27. Sin starts off small, it creeps in, and it gets bigger. You think flirting is innocent? And it's not. You're giving the devil a foothold in your marriage. Um, they're calling you upstairs. Oh, my break is over. I have to go. God's always on time. <laughs> Bye. Uh, bye. The package. The package? Yes. This package? Yes, wasn't it for here? Is there a Carlos here? There's not even a Carlos here. Uh, wrong building. Uh, is that possible? <laughs> Today we want to talk about temptation. And, you know, we 
kind of just trying to give a simple little example. Something like seems innocent as texting with someone of the opposite sex when you're married. Something that looks like, oh, but everybody texts and everybody talks and it's not a big deal. But the truth is that things do start off small and grow. And we have to understand that we, as we talked about last week, Jesus called us to live at a higher standard. We're not called to live at the world standard. We're not even called to live at the standard of the law. Jesus said, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And I tell you that if you even think about a woman lustfully, you already committed it in your heart. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your, those that hate you. Bless those that curse you. Jesus said, we are called to live higher. Now, since we're going to talk about temptation, I got to give you some ground rules, and I got to start off with a major thing that I need everyone to understand, and it's this. Temptation is not sin. Say it this way. Temptation is not sin. Come on, one more time. Temptation is not sin. It's important to understand this. Now, Jesus himself was tempted. Did everybody know that? Look what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. It's talking about Jesus, our high priest. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, world has told us that temptation is already a sin. How can I say that? Or why do I say that? How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it, reflect for yourself, but how many of you have been faced with a temptation, but because of fear of what people will think because you're being faced with a temptation, don't seek help? What is my wife going to think if I tell her that I was tempted to look at something I shouldn't? She's probably going to think that I'm fantasizing and doing all these things. So because I'm, I've had this weakness and the devil has tempted me, I'm not going to tell her. What I should do is run to her and say, partner, my everything, pray with me because the devil's trying to tempt me. See, what happens? We try to keep things hidden. And then when they find out, which they will, they think, what else have you kept hiding from me? What else have you kept, kept hidden? What else are you not telling me that you are dealing with? That's what the world makes us think, that temptation is already a sin. But Jesus was tempted, but without sin. And if you are alive, you will be tempted. I mean, it, it, we're trying to make fun with, with, with it, and, and, and Betty is, is awesome. Betty was a UPS worker this week, right? We'll see what she is next week. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just a text message. My first question would be is, why did he even have your number when you're married? Those of you that have been part of our church for a while, and and some people have a hard time understanding, we are very, very big on, on, on having boundaries. I do not meet or give counsel to women. I don't. 
And if you need counsel, you will either meet with my wife. And if it's that she can't be here and it's urgent, I've had my mom come in and sit there with me or a leader of the church come and sit there, a female leader of the church come and sit there. I don't. Why? Because I'm not going to give the devil a foothold to give someone the bad, the concept that something's inappropriate. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you what crossed my mind on Friday. I had to go get an oil change and do service on my truck. All right. How many of you know cars need oil changes? Okay. I've known several people that have gone through cars like water and they don't understand why every car they get breaks down. The thing is that they never get oil changes they never change cabin filters and never change anything. And before you know it, the devil attacked them and their car broke down. No, nah, bro, the devil didn't attack you, didn't take care of it. But anyways, I go over there and I drop off the truck and it's going to take about two hours because they were going to change certain things or whatever. And I, I had too many things. I wasn't going to sit there. So I went on my phone and I called an Uber. And as soon as I pressed the thing to request an Uber, the thought came to my mind, what if it's a woman that takes this Uber thing? Like, there's no way on there to say, I don't want women drivers. They might think I'm being sexist. And I, it's not that I'm being sexist. Some women drive better than men. But it, it, it's just a matter of, I don't want to be in a car alone with a woman that's not my wife. And so as, as, as I pressed the button and it said there was eight Uber drivers in the area, I was like, Lord, please let it be a man. Lord, please let it be a man. And then Orlando accepted my ride. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And I got in the car and my wife's like, I, I called my wife. I'm talking. She's like, well, how do you get back to church? I was like, no, I got an Uber. But I was like, what if it's a woman? You know, and I'm, I was already thinking, I was like, if it's a woman, I got to be on the phone the entire time with my wife or something just because I'm going to live my life in everything that's in my ability above reproach. Because that's what the Bible says to do. Temptation is not a sin, but if you don't guard yourself, you will fall into temptation. So today we want to talk about overcoming temptation. Okay? Overcoming temptation. And the first thing that you do to overcome temptation, or the first way to overcome temptation is this, with the Word of God. With the Word of God. Let me prove it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Can nobody say Jesus was hungry? I mean, if I go on a five-hour fast, I'm hungry. Jesus had been on a 40-day fast. The dude was starved, right? And it says here in verse 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's actually two truths right there. The first one is the fact that Jesus started off by saying, It is written. We combat temptation with the word of God. Everything that you face, every temptation that may come your way, you will find the solution of being able to overcome it in scripture, which is why the reason we need to read the word of God. To know what the word of God says. To be able to stand upon the word of God. To be able to do what God wants you to do. So you overcome it with the word of God. That's the first truth. The second truth is the actual verse that Jesus quoted. You shall not live off bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is how we overcome temptation with everything that comes out of the mouth of God. It is written. 
First thing, overcome temptation, the word of God. But here, I need to let you in on something. The devil knows the Bible better than you do. And then I do. Pastor, how can you say that? Well, we're talking about Jesus here, right? So Jesus quoted scripture. Look what the devil did, right? Next verse, right? The next one. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. What did the devil use to tempt Jesus? The word. But Jesus knew what the word said. See, the devil didn't quote the whole verse. He quoted a part of it. Uh, leave the verse there for a second, if you can, uh, the, the one there. I'm going to read to you. I'm going to leave my Bible marked here so I come back. To, I'm going to read to you where that scripture is. It's in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, okay, verse number 9, it's uh, uh, verse number 10. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's what the devil said, isn't it? But the devil didn't quote verse number 9. Verse number 9 said, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. He shall give his angels charge over you. In other words, it's not about throw yourself and let the angels catch you. It's if something happens and you have God as the number one, God will take care of it. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus knows the scripture. He knows the devil is misquoting it. So he answers again with the word and says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, you're coming at me with this verse, but I know that that verse is out of context, and what God says in his scripture is not to tempt him. Therefore, strike two for you, buddy. So then the devil says that wasn't able to win on the straight temptation on his physical desire to make it what he wanted and use his godly powers to fulfill a physical desire. He wasn't able to tempt him with the actual scripture, so now he tries to tempt him with pride and ego and stuff. And he's like, he says in verse number nine, again, the devil took him up on a exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Church, we need to remember every day that you stand upon the word of God to overcome temptation. The word of God. Yes, in this church, we harp on it. We preach it every single week. We send you emails every day with what the Bible reading plan is for that day. Why? Because our responsibility as pastors is to teach you what the word says so that you can stand on the word of God. And when we're not with you during the week and you're faced with a temptation, you can overcome it because you know what the word of God says. And if I ever say anything from the pulpit that doesn't jive with what God says, you can call me out and be like, pastor, that's not what God says. And you'll understand it because you read the word. You're keeping me accountable. I, I, I went to Christian school for high school. I went to Florida Christian. And I remember in ninth grade, I had a Bible professor, a Bible teacher, Mr. Rutherford. And uh, Mr. Rutherford and I, we, we're both Christians. We're both going to heaven. Uh, but we had different views on 
uh, the gifts of the Spirit, right? And, uh, and he was a firm believer in that the gifts of the Spirit were not in operation and, and, and different things. And so Bible class every day, Bible five days a week, Mr. Rutherford and I, we would go at it, man. We would debate every single day. We would go at it the entire school year. At the end of the school year, he looked at me and he said, I got to tell you something. I got to thank you. In all of my years dealing with Bible, I never had to study as much as I did this year. The guy would bring me books, he would bring me stuff, and I'd always come back at him with the Bible. He would bring me all kinds of material written by other people, and I'd always come back with Bible. And I'd always come back with Bible. People ask me all the time, hey, what should I read? If you're not reading your Bible, that's what you should read first. Oh, but what's the greatest book you're reading? The Bible. I read it every day. Oh, but what other books are you reading? I read the Bible. And if I have time, I read other material. I met with Pastor Joel last week, and we were talking. He's like, hey, have you read this book or that book? I was like, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm married. I have three children. We run a church. I read my Bible every day. If I have time, I read something else. Like, I'm just dead honest, right? Like, my Bible, that's what I read over and over again. The living word of God, because that's what I'm going to stand upon when I'm faced with a temptation. And I'm going to overcome it with the word of God. Part of our problem is that we do have a lot of stuff in our schedule, but we don't prioritize God where he needs to be on the schedule. And we read things and watch things and listen to this preacher and listen to that preacher and what they said and the latest revelation that they got on their time of reading the Bible instead of on us reading the Bible. So we read the word because we stand upon the word to overcome temptation. The second thing that we use to overcome temptation, prayer. Prayer. Let me prove it to you. Go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Is it 22 or 20? 22, yes. Luke chapter 22, verse number 40. It's when Jesus goes out to the garden of Gethsemane to pray with his disciples, right? Up on the mountain of olives. Verse number 40. He comes to the place, he says to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Jesus goes away. He begins to pray. He tells the Father, if there's any way to pass this cup, do it. But if it's not, let not my will be done. Let your will be done. He comes back and the disciples are sleeping. He wakes them up in verse 46 and he says, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Get up and pray. Church, we overcome temptation with the word of God and with prayer. And guess what? More than just three times a day saying, Father, bless the food I'm about to eat. Like that's what a lot of believers, that's their prayer life. Bless this food. Pastor, pray for me. I've got this job interviewer. Pastor, pray. I've got this. Or Your prayer time only consists of what I need. But yet, when Jesus taught us how to pray, that what we need was a little small part of the whole model of prayer. I mean, the whole model of prayer starts with you exalting our heavenly Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, Jesus didn't teach us that as a rote memorization prayer that we're supposed to do. It was a model of prayer. What do you do when you pray? You first go to the Father. You, 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 as the book of Psalms says, you enter into his courts with praise. You enter with thanksgiving. That's how you get before him. You glorify him. There's only a little part that says, and give us this day our daily bread. It's a small little portion. And then, watch this. In that time period, if you knew what you were going to eat that day, if you had the resources to buy your food for that day, 
you were considered wealthy. It's not give us this day our daily bread and let my bank account have $700,000. Is it wrong for you to have $700,000 in the bank? No. By any stretch of the imagination. It all goes back to the heart. Because remember, one of the things that we talked about last week, a lot of people say that money is the root of all evil. That's not in the Bible. What the Bible says is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of it. And I know a lot of people that have negative $400 in their bank account that love money. And I know a bunch of people that have millions of dollars in the bank account that don't love their money. It's a condition of the heart. And the amount of money in your bank account doesn't change that condition. But we have to have the right condition of the heart. Now I'm digressing. Let's get back to today. You stand on the word and you pray. Go to 2 Timothy. For point number three, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Come on, Pastor, find it. Where are you? Here we are. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse number 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Remind them all these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the, ha- of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babbling. Everybody asks me sometimes, oh, but why is it wrong to curse? The Bible says, shun profane and idle babblings. For they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. In other words, these people have taken a small little piece of something and made a doctrine, and other people are leaving the faith because of what they say. Again, why do we need to read the Word of God? To be able to call out when somebody is preaching something that isn't biblical, that isn't sound doctrine. Then it continues to say, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Verse number 22, underline it. It says, flee also youthful lusts. The third thing to overcome temptation is to flee. Flee. Run away. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Joseph, the dreamer. Right? Joseph gets a dream. He's one of the sons of, uh, 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 of Isaac. He has the dreams. Uh, no, Abraham. It's Jacob. Sorry. I, I, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Call me out. You see? You know the word. Then my mom was like, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay. He's one of the sons of Jacob. And he has these dreams. And he tells his brothers, and his brothers create resentment against him. Then he has another dream, and he tells his brothers and his parents, and they're all like, what are you thinking? And whatever. So his brothers concoct a plan to kill him. And so they get him, and they throw him in a, in a, in a, in a, in a cistern, in a thing. They throw him down into his, into his pit. 
and they are going to kill him. And one of them says, hey, let's not kill him. Look, these people are coming by. Let's sell him. So they get Joseph and they sell him off. And they sell him to the Midianites, and the Midianites sell him to Potiphar. Now he's at Potiphar's house. Potiphar has made him second in command of the entire house. He's the one in charge of everything, and Potiphar's wife thinks he's hot. And Potiphar's wife begins to flirt with Joseph and try to be with Joseph. And Joseph isn't married, but he knows that she is. So he's like, no, and he walks away. One day, she gets him when he's by himself. And you know what Joseph did? He ran. She grabbed his cloak He ran, she stayed with it in her hand. He ran out buck naked. Back then, they weren't wearing underwears and shorts and things, whatever. It was like the robe, and that's it. Boom, ran it out. Haynes wasn't invented yet. Runs out of the place. But pastor, he flew, flew. he fleed from the temptation. That still sounds grammatically incorrect, but you get it. He fled, thank you. Drop the E, add the D. Hey. See, that's why I love having teachers in the congregation, too. Fourth grade writing, right at its finest. He fled. And she accused him. And they got him and they stuck him in jail. Pastor, he didn't fall into temptation, but he was thrown into jail. That's rough. But he kept his integrity. So what did God do even after the time in the jail? He lifted him up to be the second command of all of Egypt. He went from second in command of Potiphar's house to being in charge of the jail while being a prisoner to being in charge of all of Egypt to save not only the Egyptians, but to save his descendants, his brothers and his, 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 his generations to come because he kept his integrity and he fled from the temptation. Don't, I gave you the thing, and some of you think I'm nuts. When I tell you a thing that I'm literally, I get on this thing, and I'm like, please let it not be a woman trying to pick me up. I'm going to have to cancel that Uber ride. All it takes is an accusation. Anybody watch the news lately? All it takes is an accusation. You don't put yourself in the situation. You flee. You run away. Run away. And then... So the first thing is the word of God. The second thing is prayer. The third thing is to flee, right? Then the fourth thing is right in that verse. It says, but pursue. Pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So flee from the temptation, run away from it. Pursue righteousness. Pursue love. Pursue faith. Pursue peace. He continues to say here, verse 23, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. Can I give you guys a pet peeve of mine? Is, is that okay? Tell them, pastor, it's okay. Tell it. All right, good. I'll give you one of my pet peeves. People in spiritual authority, like pastors, who engage in stupid, has no other words, sorry, stupid disputes with people on social media. All it's doing is wasting time. It's not benefiting anybody. It's not saving anybody. It's not building up anything. I mean, the Bible says, watch, watch, and I quote, okay? Avoid foolish 
and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In saying, there's a say, in Spanish, there's a saying, calladito me veo bonito. I look better when I'm quiet. That's what it translates to. My grandmother, my mom's mom, she used to have this piece of paper in her, in her apartment. And it, uh, it said, when you go to open your mouth, don't forget to plug in your brain. It was in Spanish. But that was the essence of it. Now, it was like a little caricature thing. Think. My daughter, Alexandra, she is five years old. She's going to be six in May, but she's got a sweet spirit on her. And she told us a few months back, she said, she, she looked at Patty, she was talking to Patty, and she said, you know, mommy, sometimes I stay quiet when you guys ask something or when something happens because I'm thinking of what I'm going to say to say it right. Five years old. Some of you in here are 90 and need to learn that. I went really high because nobody's here 90. You know, I didn't want to step on anybody's toes or anything like that. But you know what I'm talking about. Plug your brain in and say what needs to be said correctly in the right time. In the right way. So, number one, word of God. Number two, pray. Number three, flee. Number four, pursue. And what do you need to pursue? Righteousness, love, faith, and peace. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 6. We read Romans chapter 6 last week. We're going to go back to it this week. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse number 12. Thank you, Ralph. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Now, let me stop here for one second. Everybody thinks of lust as only dealing with stuff of sexuality. Can I teach you? The word lust means a strong desire. As a matter of fact, there's three times in the Bible that it refers to lust as a good thing pursuing God. When it says flee youthful lusts, is not just talking about sexual stuff, it's about whatever you have a strong desire for. Some of you have such a desire for a sport that you put that before God and before your spouse or before your kids or before your work. It's like the first thing I got to do is see who won the basketball game. It says flee the youthful lust. Oh, but is watching basketball a sin? No, it's not. But if that's your main focus in life, yes, it is. You get the differentiation? So here it says that you should, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its desires, in its lust, in its desires. Verse number 13. Do not present yourself or your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse number 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So go back to verse number 13. Here's number five, point number five. 
do not present yourself to sin. Don't present yourself to sin. If God brought you out of an addiction to alcohol, you don't need a bottle of wine in your house so that when a guest comes to the house, I can offer it. You don't need it. You dealt with the thing and they offer they're like, oh, let's go to this thing. Let's go to happy hour. I don't need to be there. Do not present yourself. Don't be there. And number six is what the next verse or that same verse says. Don't present yourself to sin, but present yourself to God. How do we overcome temptation? Daily present yourself to God. Understand that he is watching you. My daughter, Abigail, is just like her father. She's smart. She's cute. She, no, no, she's just like her father for real. She is very smart. She finishes her work quick, and she can talk to a rock. Okay? You can ask my wife. We go anywhere. And she goes to go to the restroom or do thing, whatever. We're in anywhere we may be. She comes back. I'm already best friends with the guy or lady. There's whoever's around me, right? We're talking about where they're from, what they're doing. I just, I make conversation. So when Abigail was in kindergarten, I met with her teacher. At that time, Patty was the principal of the school. So I handled everything with the school as far as with the teachers. And I met with the teacher because we didn't want there to be any type of impropriety and be like, oh, they're, you know, because of things. So we, the teachers knew from day one, anything that dealt with Abigail, it was to come to me, not to my wife. So that there wouldn't be a sense of impropriety. Again, we, we, we're very big on that, not just in the church. It's, it's the way you're supposed to live your life as a Christian, okay? And so I met with, with a teacher. It was Miss Valdivia. Miss Valdivia, I want you to know, Abigail, she, she, she has a lot of energy. It's a nice way of saying it. She likes to talk. So if she's bored, she's going to be a problem. I got you, Mr. Perez. I'll give I'll have extra work. In first grade, we had two teachers, Miss Hill and Miss Cocos. Miss Hill, amazing. I already knew her for a long time, whatever. Miss Cocos was a green, brand new, first-year teacher. So I went with her. I mean, my background is education. I train teachers how to teach more effectively in the classroom. That, that's what I did, right? So I commit to meet, meet with this young lady. First year out of college. And I'm trying to tell her, it's like, no, my daughter's going to be an issue in your class if you don't engage her, like, if you don't keep her busy. Like, you know, don't give her busy work. Like, if you just give her a piece of paper to color, she's going to, she's, no, whatever. So now she's in second grade. She's great. And I remember as a kid, I would get A's on everything and check marks in conduct all the way down, right? Like back in the day when, now they give conduct grades. Back then it was like check mark or no check mark. And I would get check marks. I, I get it and I understand it. So Abigail, this third nine weeks, she kind of got comfortable in her new school. She's made more friends. She likes talking. So we started getting a few emails from the teachers. Hey, you know, Abigail's been talking a lot in class. Maybe you can talk to her about it. And so we had a conversation with her and different things. And, and she, you know, she wants to get principles on her. We're not making her. It's like, hey, you're getting A's in, gr- in your grades. We're good. You know, if you end up getting a B in conduct, that is what it is. You just, you, you're missing out on, the, on what you wanted. So she, whatever. So the teacher needed a volunteer and Patty signed up. So Patty's at the school. And that day, I, she gets home and was like, how did Abigail behave? She's like, she, she didn't move. She didn't say a word. She was sitting. She wasn't even sitting with her. Like she always sits with like under her leg and you know, all this stuff. Right? She was sitting proper, paying attention, all this stuff. 
So she gets home and I was like, Abigail, how was your day? She's like, Daddy, they didn't even call my name once today. I was like, but what was different? She's like, well, Mommy was there. So I kept looking to see if Mommy was looking. I was like, Abigail, that's it. I got it. I'm going to make you a frame of a picture of me and Mommy. And have it on your desk so that we're watching you and you can behave. Well, what am I trying to get at? If you present yourself to God every day and have the understanding that wherever you are, he's sitting there with you, watching you, you'll be a little better off to overcome temptation because you understand God's with me. Get something. We are not under the law. We're called to live above the law. We're not under the law. We're under the grace. In the law, in the Old Testament, before Jesus died on the cross, the presence of God was only in the holies of holies, in the tabernacle, then in the temple. People like us, common, common folk, could not access God. Only the high priest. Jesus dies on the cross. The veil is torn, giving access to the Father, to all of us. And so the presence of God is not just in the temple, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the holies of holies. The presence of God is with you in your bathroom, in traffic, in your workplace, in the mall, wherever you are, God is there with you. So if every day you present yourself to God and understand God is with me, He's watching me, like Abigail, you're going to get an A in conduct that day. Because you understand. And you present yourself daily to God. Pastor, you're not saying anything that's mind-blowing. I'm not. Because the Bible is actually simple. You know who complicates the Bible? Humans. And if you actually read it, you would understand it. How simple a relationship with God is. Right? What does it take to be saved? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess that belief. That's what the Bible says. It's not jumping through hoops and ladders and, and do this and, and no, no, no. Believe and confess Him. But we make things complicated. Religion. I hate religion. I am not religious. That's one of the most offensive things people can tell me. Oh, Yo, you're religious. You're very religious. No, I'm not. Just go visit our church one day. You'll know we are not religious. Religion doesn't save anybody. As a matter of fact, religion has been one of the number one causes of wars all around the world. Throughout history of humanity. Till this day. Tell about your relationship with God because that's what the Bible says. But if we don't read the word of God, we're not able to stand and face temptation and overcome it. So how do we overcome temptation? These six things that we talked about with the word of God, with prayer, by fleeing, by pursuing righteousness, love, faith, and peace, by not presenting yourself to sin, and by presenting yourself to God. Church, if we do those things, more often than not, you're going to overcome temptation. We're in the midst of red. Remember every day. Remember every day. We're called to live to a higher standard. And we can overcome temptation. Because our high priest, Jesus Christ, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And now he lives in us. 
And greater is he that lives in you than he who lives in the world. Remember every day. Come on, say that with me. Remember every day. One more time. Remember every day.